Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. The classic Big Book of Monsters has been unavailable for 4th edition powered by GURPS games until now. Gaming Ballistic is now kickstarting a fully licensed third-party bestiary and enemies book for the dungeon fantasy role-playing game. A giant book of creatures is fantastic to keep games fresh and exciting. Pre-written stats save prep time. Full-color illustrations fire the imagination of game masters and strike the necessary fear into players' hearts. Planned at a minimum of 128 pages, growing to 240 as stretch goals are unlocked, this book is chock full of nastiness, gloriously illustrated, and fully described. Use them in the well-supported Nordland setting, or repurpose them to your own worlds in your favorite other system. Check out the Nordland Bestiarian Enemies book, live on Kickstarter through December 7th. Welcome everybody to part two of our series on the barbarian class. So tonight we're going to be talking about the subclasses and I am once again uh, joined tonight by my erstwhile co-hosts, Mr. Glenn, Mr. Lewanika, and we are once again going to rank these subclasses. We're going to give them our normal scores. So a uh, one through eight ranking on their mechanics and their flavor, and then a pool of points for what we think the playability of these subclasses is, and then the wildcard points, which are basically a way to, to bump up classes that we think are better than their scores coming out and lower classes that we think are worse than their scores coming out. But all that together means that a particular subclass could have a maximum score of 36 points. And looking down through the list here, so this is very, very interesting how everything's sort of filtered out. There's a really thick band, <laughs> like right in the middle of these subclasses, which uh, suggests to me that this is going to be a very interesting discussion. Uh, gentlemen, anything that you want to say uh, up front about the subclasses before we dive in? Well, our spreads are always a little bit all over the place, but yeah, there's some similarities and then there's some wild differences. So yeah. uh, it looks like it might be some interesting conversation yeah. and not always in the same trends that it seems to go, like in terms yeah. of who, who's leaning one way and somebody else leaning another. Totally. Yeah. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. So that's like, a, looking at be, one of them where time. you put it really low, but Lee and I both put it really high. And usually yeah, that doesn't happen. That's going to be very interesting when we get to that, get to that one. So that's, I think I have very good reasons why it's so low, but that's, a, we'll get into that. Interestingly, 
Yeah, uh, I would agree. I think the way things spread out was kind of interesting. That thick band you mentioned is is interesting. That's actually the thing I noticed when I was going through my rankings. My wild card points didn't move a lot. Like they were pretty static for everything. It was yeah, yeah. straight across. Like nothing. I didn't hate anything, but for the most part, they were fairly static. But my yep. desire to play, you know, they were again. There's that thick band where I think everything was kind of intermediate. So I have a lot in a very tight range. That's interesting. I think that speaks a lot about the class and what it can be used for, what I'd be willing to play, how interchangeable some of the barbarian types would be. That really doesn't fit the story. Is this what you're looking for? Like we're light on spellcaster, so I'll go with the storm herald. We're yep. we're yep. light on paladin, so I'll go with ancestral guardian, or I'll go with a zealot. You know, the, yep, yep. It, it's odd to find that the barbarian really became the utility player. Like if I were asked, "Hey, you're going to play barbarian," I would literally wait till everybody else was picked, and then I would pick myself yeah. less because I'd have no, totally because there there aren't other than one thing, a clear out in front. Yeah. If that was already filled in the party, then I wouldn't want to play that anyway. Yep. The only thing that I'll say about the Barbarian subclasses as we're getting along here is I thought in particular the subclasses that were in Xanathar's were really, really interesting and I thought that they that there were some very interesting choices uh, for the particular book, and I wasn't sure what it was about Xanathar's that that kind of that kind of primed the pump to make that happen. But I, I I just found that particularly interesting. That inevitably, if I really liked a subclass. It was probably from Xanathar's, or if I really thought that a subclass was problematic, because I didn't dislike any of them. If I thought the subclass was problematic, it was probably from Xanathar's, and I thought that was a very interesting turn of events. So that, that definitely has been a trend with other subclasses out of Xanathar's. I do remember that from, from previous yeah. episodes. So, all right, I see. I can see where you might think that. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. We, as usual, are going to go in the order that they appeared. And so that means we start today with the Path of the Berserker from the Player's Handbook. So uh, I'll let me just go ahead and, and, and start here. I think that the, the Berserker, and we alluded to this earlier in our kind of class takedown, I think that there are two things about the Berserker that kind of stood out for me. Is that, first of all, this is sort of the stereotypical dumbass barbarian that is very, very common, I think, in most of how people perceive barbarians, right? I mean, even one of their abilities, mindless rage, right? It's, so it's kind of the, the you know, they go into a frenzy, and I think that, that a barbarian who can frenzy while he's raging is just a really interesting mechanic, I guess, for lack of a better word. And, you know, it's at like, that point, it's you like, start frothing at the mouth. Yeah, it's like, I'm not just raging, I'm raging and raging, you know? It's like, you know... You know, but all that to go ahead and say that, like, I, I wasn't crazy about their mechanics. I, I, I thought in particular, Intimidating Presence sounded cool, and it definitely had some interesting flavor to it. But the fact that at 10th level, you get an ability that expires at the end of your turn, I thought was too short for a 10th level ability. And the fact that you can only use it uh, once every 24 hours, 
we talked about this when we uh, last talked about the UA, where like certain lineages don't need to rest as long as other all that sort of stuff, right? Having a barbarian that regains his uh, an, an ability after 24 hours is silly. He should regain it after a long rest, right? Like it's not... Especially a level of 10 ability. Especially a level 10 ability. only gives you frightened as an effect on one creature. Honestly, it should be a number of times tied to proficiency bonus because it's one creature. If it was a group of features, if it was a cone effect, if it was a diameter effect, if it was a cube effect... It yeah. should be an area of effect that affects, I mean, yeah. talking 10th level. So if you've got such an intimidating battlefield presence that you're scaring people, it shouldn't just be yeah. the guy who's standing in front of you. It should be the four guys beside him, too. Yeah. Can only scare one person for six seconds. That's not That's not good. That's not a level care, of accountability. I don't care if it's a, uh, a dodecahedron. It needs, yep. Yep. it needs to be more. Yeah. Um, and even, even retaliation. If you take damage from a creature, basically you get a you get a free attack on him. At fourteenth level, a second attack is is not the most compelling ability. Like it's, I, I, they could have done something that would have a little bit more flavor. Like it's okay, it's okay. So. It's mild sauce to yep. quote Glenn from a previous episode. Yep, it's and not sweet sauce, so, but yeah. it's not a spicy habanero. And so I think that that you I'm know not the sauce uh, guy. This this one was the subclass that between the three of us we ranked lowest of of the stack here of, of the eight of them. This is the one that came in the bottom. So, yep. and I think that that makes sense to me. So that's because it's just the trope. Yep, exactly, exactly. You know, it's the mayonnaise of the bar- of the barbarian class. So, yeah. Here's the thing: people that really made the berserker class stand out, right? From Forgotten Realms books and and things, it it, it was the dwarven battle rager. Yeah. Which we didn't get in 5e until Skag. Until Skag. So, yep. Path of the Berserker, in my personal opinion, is a half assed attempt to make an anybody can be a Battle Rager class minus mm. the specialized spikes, dwarven armor. Yep. Right? So, make yep. that. And now, that might, that might, mind you, I don't know why they did that instead of just calling it Battle Rager because they took away the cultural uniqueness of the Elven Archer and turned it into the Arcane Archer. So, they could have just yeah. gone with path of the battle rager and let everybody do it now but that's why those two you'll find when we talk about that one in a minute that's my second lowest ranked one because yep i mean it's not only are its mechanics a little meh but it's running on old canned flavor that yep i think i i was equally down on this one as as everybody else to some extent but there were things about it i liked a little bit more it is a quintessential barbarian of older editions this is pretty much Bargain basement. It is the stat block upon which barbarians were built. The Barbarian, template, good, big sword. Yeah, yes. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the template and essentially all the rest have come come from. Uh, from that perspective, the mechanics are fairly clean. They're easy. They get the job done. I don't think they're great. I think there are some challenges, some problems, some quibbles along the way that you guys have already mentioned. I won't go over that again. But at the end of the day, they're really easy to understand. I would yeah. argue that this is probably the easiest subclass class and subclass that we have ever reviewed. Yep. And easy doesn't have to be boring. You can you can yep. dress it up any way you this want. Can You're be not wrong. The right background, the right story, the right player. Totally. There's a lot of good things that can come from this. And from that perspective, that actually, even though there were challenges with the mechanics, that raised it a bit for me. Because what mm-hmm. I realized is that 
if there's a person who says, I've never played this game before, I've never played a role-playing game before, I'm not exactly sure what I need to do, I guarantee you I can find them a character in literature TV that they've probably seen that you could approximate to this and say, play this, and it would not be complicated. They probably wouldn't want to do it for a 20-level campaign, but this would teach them the game. Yep, and I right. think no, they would yeah, have fun that. with that. And, I, and, because and it's a solid that, set of abilities, too. Yeah. Intimidating Presence is the only one that's kind of crappy. And, yeah. and, and honestly, for that reason, the mechanics came up a bit for me. I actually started a bit higher. It is not something that I would want to play because I've been doing this for a long time. I don't need the training wheels. Yeah. But so, I recognize that the training wheels are there. So Ooh, it we doesn't go- have to be a training wheels thing, though. It could just be because you like playing your barbarian. Could be. So we go. So we go from Path of the Berserker to Path of the Totem Warrior, the other one that was specified mm-hmm. in the player's handbook, and this is the one that Glenn you were alluding to earlier. I find it interesting that you and Liwanika both ranked this the same score. Both ranked it a thirty-two out of thirty-six, which is remarkably high. And I found this lacking. I I did not feel the love in the same way that you find gentlemen did. It, it's very simple for me. If the path of the berserker is sort of the easy to understand, easy to digest, really, really flows well, everything just kind of jives, the totem warrior is just a hot mess of stuff that they like we talked about this in the last episode that like they don't know what they want barbarian to be and so here they took 10 subclasses and they put them together and tried to put it in one bow in the player's handbook and i was just like i got halfway through it i was like what the hell are they even talking about they've got so many different things in here and i get that it's all because of it's very specific to the totem that you pick and it's very uh, all that and i was just like i got halfway through it and i was just like nope Nope, uh, this is just this the customization just doesn't is jive amazing. Yeah, just um, it didn't jive for me. I don't want to steal your thunder, Glenn, and and I think you're going to probably talk about. Oh, Elvis go ahead and go first, Lee. Much better than me, so I'll just say this: when I think of a lesser technology group of peoples, tribe, clan, uh, family unit, pride whatever that may be. Uh, I think of this and I think the totem warriors. I mean, I think of, you know, literature and all the different indigenous peoples that may have had various totem spirits and things like that. I think of this. My only concern with this is that they didn't go far enough and give us better and more totems. I would have preferred a mechanic to create more totems being built in so you could have a totem for people that want to approximate more of an African flavor or uh, a dragon totem for people who want to go more of the oriental dragon type things. I think that they missed a huge opportunity there. I don't think of this as a mess that's all over. My only challenge is I think it should, is that it should be one thing. It should stay the one thing. You shouldn't get to choose, pick and choose where you go with it. And I don't, and I'm not sure, correct me if I'm wrong, that you don't do that, but uh, I think it needed to be a little more clearly defined, but I like the fact that you can have a totem, 
it represents your your people or at least you amongst your people and you can go with it. it is a type barbarian subclass i have played and it is the barbarian subclass that i really like and i enjoyed it so that's my take Glenn. so the reason i like the path of the totem warrior and i get what you're saying josh because it looks like a hot mess yeah I, I get that but part of the beauty of it in my opinion is aside from its flavor, which is another category beyond mechanics, but I mean, flavor wise, th this is like your, this is your shamanistic warrior. This is your, your native peoples that whatever images that brings to your mind. I'm picturing like a Northern tundra and a dude, his name's Maskukuk. And, you know, he's, he's part of his people. And they are really into the spirits of nature through animals. Clan of the Cave Bear a little bit with totem spirits, if you read the Clan of the Cave Bear books. And they're drawing their power from that. And that's why, again, it doesn't quite work for rage. It would be perfect for champion or folk hero. But this is this is the, the tribe's great warrior who collected the spirit of the bear in the necklace of claws that he wears at third level. And you could stay bare or you can change, right? So you get different. It basically gives you like a, it's like a choose your own adventure mechanic to the, to the subclass, yep. you know, at, at third level, you can take bear and you can come up with the story behind it. And it's a hot ability. You now have resistance to all damage except psychic damage. So it's not just physical. Now you're resistant to cold, yeah. you're resistant to lightning. So, I mean, that's a hot ability, right? But then at, at sixth, you can take a different one. So it creates so yeah. much customization that you got so many options to create your own dude and make him yours. And all of them, yeah. all right, not all of them, some of them are kind of meh, but most of them I think are pretty solid for the levels that you're getting. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and I absolutely get that that's why you find this so cool. I found that just, I found it messy. I, I found it, I found it overly complicated. I didn't like the fact that your totem could change. Like yep. I, that's yeah. where I have an like issue with it. Like if you're bare, you're bare. That's just my take on it. Now that de now that depends on the way that you look at it. You don't have to be tied into one animal. You could like if you have the right type of shaman, you could collect the feathers of an eagle and the claws of a bear. Each time you choose, you can choose to go deeper into the spirit of the bear or commune with and learn from another spirit. It, it, yeah. I'm sorry, y'all don't get it. Yeah. I like it. Yep, that's fine. Let's carry on here. So let's wow, move. Like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I don't give a crap. We're just going to move on to the next one because you're full of shit. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that. I don't think that you're full of crap at all. I actually, I, I really teasing, appreciate why you like it. It just didn't. It didn't sing for me. That's yeah. So. I totally get that. I totally yep. get that. Yep. Uh, so, Glenn, you mentioned earlier uh, the path of the battle rager. So let's move out of the player's handbook and into the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. What were your thoughts on the battle rager? Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, famous for its fantastic subclasses. For real, like I'm quickly gaining respect for Sword Coast. I think, so you were the one I who, think Glenn was who, who was being facetious. I was. <clears throat> Fine. So the Battle Rager has tons of flavor, man. It's tons got of flavor. All of, the, all of the stories. It's got the yep. spiked armor. It's, I mean, it's got flavor for miles, but yeah. it's someone else's flavor. It's yeah. pre written of a character that you read flavor. It's kind of like, yeah. it's still, you know, it's, it's nice. 
but meh, it's still kind of Axidiot. I mean, that's what the dwarves call him is Axidiot, right? So it's the same thing. It's your quintessential yeah. mindless raging barbarian. Yeah. When I mean, they don't get the rec- the frenzy for multiple attacks, but they do get all kinds of ways to use their spiked armor to make additional bonus attacks and yeah. things like that. And that's that, that was pretty much my biggest beef with it. And I'm going to be honest, I probably didn't give it the greatest care and choosing of my scores because of it. Yep. It's the, those two, to me, they really just feel like uh, a tired spin out of the same thing that should yeah. have been combined into something cooler and then yep. moved on. I hear that. I think this might be the first time that I've ever ranked a subclass number one based on flavor and last on the stack based on mechanics, but that's absolutely the way that I felt about this, is that the amount of flavor for the Battle Ragers was so good and so rich and so vibrant, and boy, do their mechanics just, they suck. Yeah, I should have given them a better flavor score. You're right. You know, their mechanics are awful. I mean, the Battle Ranger (laughs) charge, the ability to take dash as a bonus action at 10th level is way too late. Spike retribution at 14th level when they can do three additional damage. At 14th level, three additional damage is nothing. That's that's again, we talked earlier, like by 14th level, a barbarian's gonna have 150 hit points. Three hit points is nothing. It is right. zero. It, well, it, Reckless Abandon well, comes at sixth level, yeah. and okay, you can use it, you get it every turn, but you're talking about oh, yeah. the constitution modifier and temporary hit points. So right. again, though, that's just playing into the damage soak thing. Well, the guy me, who's hitting you maybe taking away 14, but you're going to get four back every round well, when you and, use well, it's, it's attack. not every round. It's not every round. When you use reckless attack while raging, you get, you gain temporary hit points. Right. So if you use reckless attack, you'll get four hit points okay. every round back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and okay. you're already taking, you're already resistant to damage. So it's playing right into that whole thing yeah. that they can take a lot of punishment. But yeah, I yeah. will go one step further. If at any point your bonus is less than your proficiency score. Who, yeah. Who the frick cares? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's actually it, almost it, exactly it, what I wrote. It's, it's actually pointless. Yeah. That, that's almost exactly what I, what I wrote about the armor, is that an additional D4 damage for your armor is great tier one, but after tier one, it's silly. It's yeah, nobody's going to use a bonus attack to poke somebody with their spiky shoulder. No, exactly. I'm not going to intentionally go ahead and get into melee range with someone that's going to go ahead and kick my butt. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. But what would have been good is if it was, it is whatever it is, and then plus your proficiency bonus. So as your proficiency bonus, yeah. it scales. If it was four plus proficiency yep. bonus, that's hot. Yep. Yep. All right. Yep. Or Battle Rager armor, I mean, they could have given it a D6 piercing damage to whoever you're grappling instead of three if you want to make it seem like like it's going to be more cool a a d4 at tier one a d6 at tier two a d8 at tier three something like that something give them some sort of scaling some sort of some sort of something that tells me i want to play a battle rager beyond fifth level i would just say this it's again it's one of these things that has clear pretty basic pretty easy rules the thing that I really didn't like, it's why I downgraded the flavor, despite the fact Battle Rangers are great for all of the things that I know you you all have brought to the table and we've seen in our various games. There's a Battle Rager in our Alana's case that was amazing whenever he happened into the session. But it's this. I didn't like the racial slash lineage limitation and the fact that no other lineage could be taught this thing. There's nothing nope, inherently magical about this. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. It does say though it it does say that the DM can lift the restriction restriction to better shoot the campaign. Right. That the restriction only exists for the Forgotten Realms. Okay. But they 
and but they took it from the arcane archer which used to only be right. an elven thing right an so why thing. not just be consistent oh wait they have a problem with that don't right. they consistency's and, been an issue a lot and mr miller i am going to call you out a little bit yeah you lowered the flavor you low the flavor you gave it was at second from the bottom so mm-hmm. yeah you certainly lowered its flavor you put six subclasses above it mm-hmm. that's not just like di- that's lower that's that's Right, like you, you killed its flavor. Like you killed its flavor. The only one that you, the only one that you didn't that you ranked below it was the berserker. Yes. <laughs> so this was actually your Me lowest too. ranked subclass. Yes. But I will. But there's a couple of reasons why it was the lowest. One, I gave it fives for wild card. I gave it fives for desire to play. No desire to play this class, this subclass at all. Well, then why I just didn't give it zero for desire to play. So why is why is five your baseline score for want to play out of ten? Because I don't hate it, and I don't want people to think I hate it. I, I don't know. I don't know how to say that better than that. It is kind of just where it went. Okay. I just feel like five yeah. was significantly lower than my really want to play, which would be a ten. I really hate it. And I consider it to be a five is middle of the road. It's like I just have no desire to play it. It's not a specific hatred. I did think that there are other things that I that had better flavor. I've seen three or four great battle raiders, and I don't think I need any more. Like everything else, I compare to those three, and I just don't see it. And that's right. why, to me, it drops a lot because it's like, what am I going to do to be better than those three I saw? Right. Maybe right. that's a me thing. I'm not saying other people can't do something that I would be surprised by, but I think that's a flavor that is pigeonholy. If such a phrase exists. I get where you're coming from, Josh, because I also gave them a two for flavor. And I really do feel like I gave them a disjustice because I do really like the Battle Rager and all the flavor and history that comes with it. But I will also say that there's enough flavor packed into some of these other subclasses that to some extent it also kept getting moved down because I liked other ones better. Yeah. I gave it a two, but it should probably be based on my other scores. I think more in the four range, not because it didn't have all that history, but but just because the other ones captured me more. I can see that. I I would gladly take a four over a two. So I I could see it to a three, but there's no way it hits four for me. Yeah, we hurt your feelings on this one a little bit. You were like, it's it's true. It's true. Yeah, I I will admit their mechanics are awful. (laughs) They're awful. Oh, that's really what. Yeah, yeah, that's That's really what brought it down for me. So. Mr. Miller, Path of the Ancestral Guardian. Uh, you ranked this one quite highly. Tell us, what you, do you think? I will go so far as to say the mechanics really fell as we went through the rankings. Like As I kept going, the mechanics kept dropping because there are just other things I like mechanically better. But I love this concept. In specific, I said, I love the concept of this barbarian. And while effective as a defensive strategy, I am not so sure that the mechanics really pack the punch I want from a Barbarian. All in all, it's the Barbarian I would definitely play in an RP-heavy campaign. Yep. This is cool. This is the utility Barbarian. This is the one who, uh, you know, protects the group. He just does these things that I think are very cool, and it suggests tales of old I there's backgrounds I could use. There's, uh, you know, I might go higher on charisma. I might do performance. Yep. So he's telling stories about the ancient ancestors and, and, and all yep. these things and, uh, you know, spreading the word of his people yep. uh, through these ancients. You know, this is, this is my great grandfather. Blah, 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 blah. He's literally 
entering yeah. the battle with his father, his father before him and his father before him. You know, it takes the yeah. Jedi's who are sitting outside the campfire area. I was just going to say, yeah, watching, it's the end of Star uh, Wars, yeah. watching the end of Star Wars. And it brings them right into you. So now when you're yeah. fighting the stormtroopers, you've got all of them with you. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, and I just love the way that feels. As a storyteller, that's an amazing NPC. As a player, again, in an RP heavy campaign where that kind of thing really adds to the narrative, I would love to play this. In a yeah. high heavy combat, barbarians are tough no matter what subclass you take. So you're going to be effective as a barbarian, period. Period. Yep. But I don't think you'd have as much fun. I think what it does doesn't lend itself to a Monty Hall campaign well, yep. but it does lend itself to a more P-flavored campaign. I, I, I agree with you. I think that by this point in the ranking process, I stopped taking off points for mechanics if they were bad at level 10 or level 14, because I realized that barbarians were not going to be great at tier three and that that was going to kind of be a slog through any any of the subclasses. I thought that their first three abilities, the Ancestral Protector or Spirit Shield, and the way that Spirit Shield kind of scaled up in levels, I loved those abilities uh, a lot. Consult the Spirits and Vengeful Ancestors, they were fine. Consult the Spirits, again, we talked about scaling earlier when we talked about the Berserker in particular. You know, I think a level 10 ability that's a one and done after a long rest is... That's not a level 10 ability, and it really should have been more than that. And again, like we mentioned last week, you know, this is an ability that relies on your wisdom skill. And wisdom is not anywhere really going to be in the calculation for a barbarian. So what are they trying to do here? But all that, I really liked this subclass. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. So. so yeah, I gave this one uh, an eight for flavor. It, I gave it the absolute most flavor. Yeah. Of all of the subclasses. Interesting. Okay. Just because of how much flavor I could build with an ancestral guardian barbarian, because I'd be sure. naming my ancestors. All right. Oh, I yeah. have like all kinds of flavory backstory yeah. going on with it. The concept really captured me. Yep. But cool. the mechanics, Spirit Man. Shield was the only ability I really cared for. Yeah. I mean, disadvantage um, is great, you know. That's why I like Ancestral Protectors, is that you know, until the start of your next turn, the target has disadvantage on any attack roll that isn't against you. So it's like the tanky barbarian, right? Right. So, yeah. But he's not. So well, it doesn't really aggro. make any sense. You're, you, you are aggro in an unconventional way, because what you're doing is you're making it harder for the enemy to hit your party. And if your enemy is aware that they can't hit other people well, they might as well hit you. Oh, by the way, you're a barbarian, so you're taking half damage. So it's right, you're damaged, half so the other. You. You've just invalidated, or at least half the damage output of your of the yeah. opposition. That's yeah. as utility and clutch as you get. It's actually yeah. quite effective. And this is I'm very much a subclass a- that has the epitome of the subclasses that shouldn't be based on rage. Like that's the thing. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Fair. Because that's kind of the problem. It's not that it's not effective or it's not good. It's just that it doesn't make any sense to me. It's not a barbarian. Ancestral protectors yeah. would be protecting me, yep. not encouraging every other creature to attack me and only me. Yeah. Like I see where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do to support the tankiness of it, but what they, it just did not feel like it fit. 
Yeah. So would you yeah, have preferred? That's really fair, actually. Yeah. yeah and, and would you have preferred, and this is kind of where I thought they were going to go and was rather disappointed that they didn't, that it created the disadvantage when things were attacking you in the lower tiers and then expanded that to another character in tier two or a number of friendlies equal to your proficiency bonus? Possibly, but and, and giving anybody so the ability to always have attack rolls against them be at disadvantage is too potentially game breaking. Yeah, that's yeah. potentially game breaking. And not just that, but it can it can very quickly be subverted, right? Because advantage and disadvantage doesn't stack, all that I need to do now all I need to do is be somebody that is attacking you while you're engaged with another target. And right. now I would normally have advantage on that role, but now I am in effect negating one of the core abilities of your subclass. So it's one of those things that is both game breaking and almost useless at the same time, which is a really right. difficult thing to do. Now, I mean, it could go the other way and it could be like my ancestral guardians like run around and make rabbit ears over everybody else. And instead everybody gets advantage to attack my party members yep. instead of me. One of the subclasses were in the paladin party. was like that. Wasn't they? <laughs> Weren't they? <laughs> I love that though, Glenn. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. But nobody would want you in their party anymore. <laughs> All right, Mr. Myers. So, Path of the Storm Herald. Tell me about it. Because, I, and, and, and I'm going to ask both of you because. There's this again. This is one that just did not resonate. I brought everyone's score down on this one because it it didn't drive with me. So what All am right. I missing? Tell me what so I'm missing. So what you're missing, I can tell you already, is that yeah. you're hung up on the rage thing, and I let it go. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I decided fair. that yeah. a barbarian was a preacher not of rage but of passions. Yeah, yeah. And I don't choose to define it beyond that because it would sound weird if I'm like my barbarian becomes impassioned. In the of combat, it doesn't have the same ring. So I'm accepting I'm, rage. As, engorged. I'm accepting rage as the term because you're taking your passion and you're channeling it into battle energy. Yep. And I moved on. When you take that out of it and instead you're looking at it as this primitive people's like spirit warrior, their elite protectors, you know, not just like, their village guards or, you know, their warrior class. Oh, but yep. they're they're like they're working with the shaman and yep. you people these people live this this tribe of people lives in a really really weather torn area so yeah. I mean, they're really into the weather so worshiping some you know you know uh, you know what I just figured out and that honestly it really just solidified this for me like to the point that I may have to go ahead and redo my ranking desert storm herald barbarians are the fremen on Arrakis yeah there you go yep. So you're learning. Now it, now it makes sense to me. Yeah. And you learn to tap into the energy of nature itself to defend your peoples. And that's what makes you a storm herald. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hot. And, I mean, it's, and there's it's, that passion. You're right. That's that makes much more sense now. I wish I said it that way earlier when I was trying to say the problem with barbarian is the name. It's, yep. yeah. it's the it, it's passion. It's not just rage. Yep. Cool. I really like it, and I've got some great builds in mind for it, and it really goes along the lines of what Glenn was just saying. I think its flavor was missing a bit in the way it was described, so I'm bringing a lot to it that I don't know if it's necessarily written there. 
So its flavor kept dropping because of what wasn't written. But I really yep. liked the elements, and I thought the, the mechanics were decent. It landed kind of middle of the road for me, but its playability for me was high. It is one that I want to play. I want to find a way to make that work. I think of a Dragonborn with with, with this built in becomes very cool. There's some neat things that I would do with it. It's probably something I would end up dual classing at some point. Some kind of Storm Herald Sorcerer would be really awesome. The idea of being build the biggest lightning guy you could ever build is kind of where I would be going with that. You know, a, a Dragonborn with lightning, Storm Herald, and kind of get those abilities and then bring up Sorcerer. Like a blue Dragonborn, yeah. Yeah, and then grab all the different things you can do. Blue or silver, one of the two. You know, but I, I think there's there's ways to get towards some pretty impressive ends utilizing this this particular class, and I and I think it it worked really well for me. It's sad, I think, because of some of the extreme strengths and extreme weaknesses of some of the other things, it kind of ended up being more middle for me than than I would have originally thought. But its playability is high. It is one of the ones that I've got. In, in 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 my head it's on the build yep. list and i loved yep. the mechanics of this one all right i gotta say because we talk about scale and we talk about making sense and we talk about the theme Got and it. you choose your environment you choose the spirits of nature that you've bound to you've been bound to and if you're desert you're sea you're tundra each time you get an ability it adds to that instead of trying to come up with something yep. new. And I loved that. And That's very when true. You, when you're getting the ability to extend, is it six, the first, first level you get, or third level you get um, your aura. So you got a 10 foot aura that usually gives you some form of uh, damage effect or addition. Although I want to say desert reads as though 10 feet around you, everyone friend or foe is taking two to fire damage each round. That is why the mechanics fell a bit for me because it takes out your party. Yeah, like I kept, that one. I kept rereading it to say maybe I'm reading it wrong. Like maybe there's something yeah. else, and I don't know if there's a rata somewhere that changes that. But all I know is that when I kept saying it takes out your party at ten feet, I'm like, yeah, eh, it's got to fall. It's got to fall. And so, yeah, this would have been significantly higher for me had that been worded moderately differently. Yeah. Yeah, and so and here's the question too. Think about one of the key features of barbarians is movement. When the effect is activated, all creatures in your air, in your aura take two fire damage. So if I so they don't continue to take it after I move, right? They don't. Correct. It's only when it's activated. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you That's get away from your than, party members before you do it, I guess. So. Yeah, but this is just two damage when you first light it off. Yep. But it hurts everybody, friend or foe. That's in. Yep. Which I don't mind. That that that's fine. Like that's it is what it is. It makes sense to me anyway. So. I mean, could they uh, have maybe designed them a little bit better? Sure. There's always room for improvement. But I just sure. really liked the consistency and the of the theme and the way that it yeah. flowed. It worked really well. I, I do love these conversations because I now have a, an appreciation for the Storm Herald that I did not have when I read it on my own. So I want to first of all say thank you for that. That that's. I appreciate your insight helping me wrap my head around that because I I read it and I was very much like WTF is this. So let's let's wrap up the subclasses from Xanathar's here and talk about what I think was universally everyone's favorite. 
not Lee Winnika's favorite, but my favorite yes. and Glenn's favorite. Nope, not Glenn's. Glenn's second favorite. Okay, that's fine. So it's t- it's top of the stack, but it was also the highest ranked when you broke out the averages, highest ranked subclass. That is the path of the pala. I mean, the path of the zealot for nah. the, barbar- the barbarian subclass. Bites your right? tongue. Yeah. So, oh, come on. Come on, wait a minute. It doesn't at have any entry, paladin abilities. At entry point, it does necrotic or radiant damage. Okay, he's holy and he's blessed. Yeah. He gets extra bonus like other people. That's just because he's, he's, he's the chosen he's holy, warrior he's, of the gods. He's yeah. Exactly, chosen warrior of the gods. Totally not a paladin. Yeah, exactly, right? No, no. A paladin is a sworn warrior of the gods who's learned. <laughs> I... I really, really, really enjoyed this subclass. I loved the mechanics of this. So the, with the exception, the only one that I thought that was a little meh was Warrior of the Gods. Your soul is marked for endless battle. Now, that's just a beautiful phrase, for one. Yes. But if, if a spell such as Raise Dead has the sole effect of restoring you to life, but not undeath, the caster doesn't need material components. And here's the reason why I thought that was meh. It's like encumbrance. Nobody uses material components in any real way. It saves 300 just, gold, man, because my DM just, will make me have 300 gold of diamonds for resurrections for a raised debt. Okay, well, then then your DM is I the will. only DM in the history of D&D. No, you won't. Lee I've is run, my I've, DM. I've, no, you and won't. he makes Steven carry diamonds to cast raised debt. Wow. Well, well, Lee's a jerk. really buy them in town. <laughs> and uh, Marty Napier also runs his game that way. If well, your spell component requires a gold piece cost, he requires you to obtain that and use it. I won't. I will not call Patreon supporter Marty Napier uh, a jerk. Lewanika <laughs> learned from Marty, and he's a jerk. So, <laughs> but other than that, I thought the mechanics of this subclass were, were fabulous. Marty, you just uh, got left hand called a jerk. I was gonna no, say, I, I, I know. Absolutely. No. I love I love Marty. Marty is absolutely my favorite. No, he, no, he uh, walked in no, a big circle and smacked you with no that shit. sticky fish just as much as he smacked Lee. <laughs> no, 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 no shade. No shade, Marty. We love you here. If I can yeah, put no, in right here just to save you some face, Josh, let, let me help you out a bit. I don't need no face. I don't need no face saving. I'm good. Maybe you do. Here's my thought on it. Um, I look at a very core element of the game being if there isn't a real threat of death, then why are we playing? The dice mean nothing if there isn't a chance that a failure could eventually result in death. If you don't play with those kinds of mechanics, whether it be the material cost for something like resurrection, or I actually use a separate rule that I got from the dungeon coach. I, I actually, it's a, it's a Matt Mercer thing that I utilize where yeah. the party is effectively doing a skill challenge. The material cost is important. There's a skill challenge where they're basically calling forth and trying to convince the spirit to come back, that type of thing. And an extreme failure would mean somebody would come back, but it may not be the spirit that actually left. It could be an evil spirit that just got there first if they did the ritual wrong. To roll in on a player character, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I that, that's that's agency stealing. Is what that is. Well, if they die, they it's, die. It's agency stealing. You can't tell a player that the character that comes back isn't actually the character that you were pl- that you want to play. Now it's you the could. character that I want you to play. But in that instance, you'd have to know your player and you'd have to get with them in between and be like, hey. This is my idea. 
what do you think? And if they like right. it and you get buy-in, then you're groovy. But to yeah. bring somebody back and say, nope, you're not you anymore, and secretly you're the evil elf prince from a thousand years ago, and you must try to subject, subvert yeah. your entire party, that's not the kind of game that we usually play in D&D. That's paranoia or... Actually, I'm going to say I've done it a couple times in Alanis, so... Well, I'm not saying I haven't done it in the past. I'm yeah. just saying that but I've learned right. since then, and that's not something I and do anymore. if there anymore. isn't buy-in, I would simply say, we'll roll you up a new tune, and then and then, and then everybody, you know, no matter, obviously Johnny's playing a different character, they kind of know, but uh, the, wait, the characters wait. don't know. That's how I would do that. Um, You're saying it don't meta? I, w- I would ask them not to, and then you kind of have to measure it. You have to play that at your table. Knowing your table is how you do that. But me personally... Right. But it don't meta anyway. Yeah. And nothing else matters. But uh, look, what I'm saying is I love that ability because it doesn't cheapen life. It is a specific set of character choices that would bring you to that ability. And so I, I think that's a lot better than maybe you think. But part of that is, for me, specifically, resurrection magic is... Uh, uh, I play by the book and add some rules to it. That's just my games. How can you play it by the book and add rules? It's by the book plus, not by the book. That's what I'm saying. All right. So on that on, on that that sentence of BS, <laughs> I want to weigh on a warrior of the gods too because I kind yeah. of agree with both of you. Surprise, surprise. So all right, if I'm playing warrior of the gods, zealot. And I die. Bro, to be honest, I don't care how much they spend. They're going to bring my ass back to life so that people can still hit me, keep hitting me instead of them. Yep. That's not my problem. But so in terms of being an ability, I do kind of feel like for giving me a benefit as a player, as a character, it's kind of meh, but it's got flavor for miles because nothing says chosen warrior of the gods like, oh, you want to bring him back to life? No worries. Keep your diamond. We like him so much. Poop. Here you go. He's got a shiny new coat on him. His hair is all brushed. <laughs> yep. Great example of a path of the zealot barbarian. Although I, I, he may not be a barbarian, but it's pretty close. But from Game of Thrones, Thoros of Mir, the guy that's been resurrected like seven or eight times because he keeps dying, and and the the red god wants him to live. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yep. I would say yep. a greater example, though it's not as commonly popular as Game of Thrones, obviously, is uh, Shat Ka at my Saturday game. He's an amazing barbarian, and he chose that one, and when he throws down, he throws down for reals. That's the one with the scimitar, leads the the, the uh, tribe of goblins, the whole bit. He, You know, he's he's that one. And that's a zealot barbarian. Yep. It's a charger feat. He, he, he's a monster on the battlefield. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Let's slide out of Xanathar's then and move into our last book on the list with two subclasses from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Lunika, talk to us about Path of the Beast. What were your thoughts? I liked Path of the Beast. I think there were things about it that were interesting, that were fun. I see it. It has high playability for me decent, uh, strong playability. When I think of natural cultures and peoples and their powerful warriors, their legendary warriors, 
character that can turn into a part of the beast really comes comes to mind. Again, with the limitation I previously stated, certain lineages don't work well with it because they already do some of these things. So I think that that's kind mm-hmm. of a miss. But I rolled up a Goliath Path of the Beast Barbarian, and he is awesome. Yeah, awesome. No, that, that's fine. I have I have one too. I have a Goliath Path of the Barbarian too, and I love it. I absolutely love him. I, th- I think it's I think it's a mo- more mechanically strong Path of the Totem Warrior. So, uh, I, I find either one to fair. Except really the Totemic well, Warrior doesn't really have to actually take flavor. on the physical aspects. Sorry, Lee. Right, and, and that's my thing. Like, I actually wanted this one to actually hit. Like, I, I his it, part of his name is Bear. And he does all the, he, you know, he does the things. He's very focused in that regard. He was a fun, fun character to to role play. I did it more from the NPC standpoint, but I built that tune as though I were going to play it. And when I was done and I've role played the character quite a bit, I can tell you, um, I lament the fact that I built it as an NPC and didn't get to play it more directly because yeah. it's that good. It's yeah. really, that level really 14 cool. ability is no joke. Call the Hunt, level 14. Beast within you grows so powerful that you can spread its ferocity to others and gain resilience from them joining your hunt. So basically, you can choose a number of willing creatures you can see within 30 feet uh, of you equal to your constitution modifier, which by level 14 should be 5, right? You gain 5 temporary hit points for each creature that accepts the feature, so 20 to 25 25 temporary hit points, right? And until your rage ends, the chosen creatures can use the following benefit once on each of their turns. Mm -hmm. When the creature hits a target with an attack roll and deals damage to it, the creature can roll a d6 and gain a bonus to the damage equal to the number rolled. So not only are you getting additional hit points, not only are you a barbarian who's raging and and dealing additional damage and taking only half damage, now your ferocity is spreading to four or five willing allies. Absolutely and you can it. use it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So it scales along with you. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, it's a 14 level scales. ability. It's it is the alpha ist ability of the of all these subclasses. That's the best capstone ability right. of these eight subclasses, I think. So yeah. So, Anytime you can be utility yeah. combat style, you've really captured something, especially when you're talking about a barbarian. Your okay. abilities are augmenting your entire team. That's actually kind of paladin-like. So for the for the Path of the Beast, I mean, I liked it. I like its flavor, and I kind of want to play one. I'm going to be honest because I've got yeah. <laughs> I've got some ideas for that are kind of meta. But I struggled with it because, all right, the the shapeshifter thing. One of your parents was a lycanthrope. There's lots of there's lots of stuff that makes the flavor really cool. But when you start looking at the actual abilities, I'm a barbarian. I'm a strength based fighter. If I'm swinging a great sword, if I'm swinging a great axe, am I going to choose to bite? Am I going to choose to make a claw attack? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Right? And, the tail, and however, not- is freaking hot because the tail yeah. gives you a reaction where you can add a D8 to your yeah. armor class. Every, I, I, I always, <laughs> always use the tail. That was always the one that I used was the tail attack. Right. So uh, the tail is awesome. But the other two, what's the... Mm? Yeah. Sorry, Lee. So I think you're absolutely right, Glenn. And I think that speaks to the problem 5e has with unarmed combat being so significantly less than armed yeah. combat. They, they never crack the nut of how to do martial arts. They never crack the nut of how to do unarmed combat well. 
There are ways to augment that to make it better through feet selection. Uh, but honestly, I think you'd have to do some fighter stuff to get it to where it needs to be to, to get there. You'd have to take um, an unarmed fighting style. You might have to take uh, a piercer or slasher to really get you some extra oomph. Mm-hmm. That would make it worth doing. But it would take at so, least three feats to make that worth doing instead of a great axe. And you still won't top out higher than the great axe's top out. So what I did was I took Tavern Brawler as a feat when I built mine, because then I can go ahead. Basically, the, the, and the big benefit to Tavern Brawler was that if I hit a creature with an unarmed strike, then I can grapple them as a bonus right. action. So, you know, that was, that was really, that was very much the, the benefit to that. And that's why I built that. Plus it, it's a Tavern Brawler gives you a half, an, a half ASI. So, you know. you know, but the big thing is too, that like bestial soul. So like, you're right. The bestial attacks that you get at level three, they're not overwhelming. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. However, at sixth level, those attacks are now magical. And that is a big deal at tier two. Correct. Getting the magical ability added to them is great. I'll still go with the tail. Yep. Yep. Totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah, I, mean, I can, if you, I can if whip you, them with my tail and then grapple them as a bonus action. Like, yes, please. If you could use it as a, as a bonus attack, a bonus weapon, you know, like uh, a, a natural weapon as a bonus action, then yep. it would be worth it. But Yep. I think that's ultimately why I wound up taking levels of fighter. Because you're right, you're right, Lee Winnie. And if I remember correctly, it was Battlemaster. And if I remember correctly, also the maneuvers that I took were the ones that opened up bonus actions for me, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you know, yeah, not not no. You're not wrong that not, it does need a little bit of help. It needs some help. It needs tavern brawler. It needs unarmed attack as a fighting style. So it needs those two things, and then slasher or piercer, depending on which one you want to use the most. And then if you don't already have powerful builder, you're not already playing a race with those things. Those will help so your grapples yeah. have advantage. There's a number of different things you have nah. to do, but it takes a, it takes a couple different things to optimize that build. My folks over on the optimization groups that I'm a member of, they've really uh, enlightened me to, if you're going to do something like that, here's how you get it to be a little cooler or yeah. get it to work the way the flavor reads. Because in, in and of itself, it doesn't match the flavor. So you have to hmm. do some mechanical things to get it there. Yeah. Uh, and let's not forget too that at level five you get a second attack. So it's not like you are told. It's not like you're pinned into having to go ahead and like, declare like I'm only going to claw or I'm only going to bite this round. You can bite and greatsword or something like that. So right. But come on, what you're really going to do is you're going to go tail. You're going to have your magic tail weapon if you need it because you can do a D8 piercing with it. Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to use those two attacks to double down on your greatsword or your longsword. And you're going to spend that feat on Savage Attacker instead. So you effectively get advantage on your damage dice on one of the two attacks. Mm-hmm. So save that feat. And now you're using the greatsword. You're going to have to worry about not being able to wield a shield or anything. Because you get a plus one to eight on your armor class for one attack every round with your reaction. Yep. I mean, it's it's Not, no. with the tail by itself. It's hot. It's still solidly built, and but the bite and claw that just takes too much to make them doable. Hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Resource like management. It. You know, how many feats were you blowing? Two, three, three feats to be able to make an effective bite attack. Well, 
but again, for an ability that you got at third level, I mean, you've been you've been practicing and honing this bite attack since third level to get three feats. But each of the, but two of those feats are half ASIs as well. So there's some other True. benefits. And then you know when you yep. do the piercer or slasher, you're getting some extra cool things with that, yep. like you stop motion. There's a couple things that go along with it beyond. Well, just slasher the, can work with your greatsword too. So yeah. And yeah. that's why I say it's it's one of those catch-alls that really does right. some cool things. Yeah. You know, and let's not forget, too, that, you know, at 10th level with Infectious Fury, you can deal 2d12 psychic damage. And, you know, yeah. dealing 20-something points of psychic damage a turn, not, Ain't nothing. not nothing. Ain't nothing. Especially at level 10. We talked a lot about how some of the level 10 abilities are kind of like one-and-done type abilities and really should have been more. This mm-hmm. is a level 10 ability that is really, really nicely placed and really, really nicely scaled. So. Power to process. Let's... Uh, Right. All right. Let's dive into our last one here. The Wild Magic Barbarian. I think, Luanika, I think you, yeah, you certainly ranked this one way ahead of both Glenn and I. Is I this wanted just, to rank it higher. I wanted to rank it higher, too. I really did. Because I do love me some Wild Magic, if you all remember from the Sorcerer episode. I do love Wild Magic. Uh, and if I remember correctly, Luanika was not enamored with the Wild Magic. The best thing I can say about this one is that it sets its lane and it sticks right in it. Like, it doesn't leave it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I am the wild magic barbarian and everything that I am going to do is always wild magic every single time I do anything. <laughs> so that's, which I kind of, I after a wildly inconsistent class, the consistency of the wild magic barbarian was ironic and well-placed. So. Uh, I think it really comes down to one thing. So I wild magic and I barbarian things. Yeah, yeah, yep. pretty much. Here's the thing that I hated about this subclass, though. So many abilities based on a D3, just make it D4. Like the D3 is, I, I hate D3. I think like, it's just it's something right. about D3. What's it's the like point? it's like I'm rolling a I'm rolling a D6, but it's only half, and so it's like no, just make it a D4. Just just call it good. And it's not like we can even blame it on the fact like, oh well, this was written back in the PHP days, so you know it's got a it's it's not no. This is from Tasha's. They know better. Make it a D4. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it could be the whimsy. Because three and three is a magical number. All right. Fine. <laughs> I, I suppose. <laughs> Consistency wise, it would be easier to just stick with the dice that exist, though, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I actually wrote like, you know, WTF, make it a D4. <laughs> my, own, my biggest note on this was one thing. Rabbit folk. Oh, yeah. Rabbit no, no, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I was thinking yeah. about was yeah. the rabbit and, folk tribe in the Feywild. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's a mic drop moment for me. When I built that, that was the only thing that came to my mind. It was it was first in line. It made sense. And it has never left the forefront of my mind. So yeah. I, I, I honestly believe that that's why I ranked it as high as it is. Interestingly enough, for the person who's not big on wild magic in general, I thought these tables were less crazy than other yeah. wild magic tables. And because of that, its mechanics never failed because it did exactly what it set out to do. It provides yeah. everything it says it's going to provide. And nothing was so far out of the realm of what I would be willing to play. Or I, I just didn't feel it take, took my agency as a player away. That's yeah. what I really don't like about some wild magic tables. Is once it takes yeah. an agency away, I'm less inclined to do it. Like I would never yeah. do that. 
I that, don't that was one thing I didn't like about the about the wild magic effect that transports you thirty feet away, right? Because you you're you get wild surge when you rage, and it's entirely possible that your wild magic will push you out of range of being able to attack, and therefore your rage will drop. Which uh, that was the one that I looked at. It's like, oh, that could be better, and, and and it could be, and that's why I paired it with the rabbit folk because now I've got the ability to get the distance I need to do. So the likelihood yeah. of being pushed out of my distance to be able to attack is almost non-existent. And I actually built that character with thrown axes as well as his main weapon, so that that could never happen with my own uh, movement abilities. Even if I got pushed as far away as possible, I would always be able to move into range where my thrown weapon would still work. Thoughts, and to be and to be fair on the teleport option, I mean, I like the, I like the random magic table that they did here, and I like the fact that it is focused to be beneficial to you in a rage situation. Because otherwise, what would be the point if you gave it something weird like the magic table? <laughs> right. The wild magic table, a result of a unicorn appears for two minutes, which happened in a wild magic storm fight that I did, and one of my players was like oh, unicorn, and that's all they paid attention to for the rest of the fight and abandoned their party. Right. Sorry if you're. Happened to listen, duckling. Moving on. Totally <laughs> fit her what she would do. In that game, I uh, I appreciate you sharing that tale. Yeah, she was. She it totally fit her and her character both to be that immediately drawn to a magical horned horse. So it it, it was very fitting. You did. <laughs> Yeah, you, you came pretty darn close. You dropped. But anyway, I digress. And to be fair, it does give you that one random, like when it gives you the teleport result, but it's up to 30 feet. It doesn't have to be 30 feet that you can see. So you get to pick it. The downside is it's not an option, so you're going to move. So if you were planning on attacking the guy standing right in front of you, you got to hope there was another space open near him. Well, that but you after that, that left, for yeah. the rest of your rage, you can use that teleport anywhere to go anywhere you want within 30 feet as a bonus action. Yeah, that's fair. So and I guess it starts out wild, you but you yeah. get more control. Yeah, and you can always teleport towards another enemy, too. Like, just because you're attacking Johnny in front of you doesn't mean that you can't attack Susie. That's 15 feet away. And in fact, you, yeah. The randomness of never knowing what you're going to get would stress me out a little bit. Yeah. But I really like the idea because I love wild magic, and I'd like to play one. But I, yeah. I would I would be stressed out because I'd be like, oh, God, oh, God, I got to get this ability because it's I, what would save all of our asses right now. And instead, I, I'm going to get flowers yeah. and vines that grow around me. I really needed the chest laser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did really love how every level, every level when you get an ability, it's like, here's a cool thing, and then roll on the wild magic table. <laughs> it's yeah. just like every single time. Every single time. It's, that's what, and that's what I meant by it kind of like it set up its lane. It stayed in it. It did not deviate. It just like ran in it. Like, nope, every single time your barbarian is doing freaking anything wild magic <laughs> it's like even it's even worse than the wild magic sorcerer because eventually the wild magic sorcerer learns how to control his wild magic the barbarian's just like nope it's always just going off at random places so it's amazing but to be fair should a barbarian have control no the first ability that they give you the magic awareness i mean it's neat and i could i could make it work i could play it into the into the character but having an at will number of proficiency bonus uh, per long rest to detect magic isn't really something that I see a barbarian needing. It seemed fluff to me. It didn't seem. It doesn't really add anything to me that I see. It makes sense for the character, though. You know, having a sense of things around yeah. you that are magical because of the exactly. wild magic in you. But eh. yeah. for me, that was weak you. sauce. I hear you. Eh. That, that that's why for me, as much as I love it. 
its mechanics weren't number one. Like, no, definitely like, not number like, one, but decent. They're good. They're solid. But they fell a few spots. Yeah. I, I put them very middle of the road. You put them a little bit above me, Glenn. You put them a little bit below me. So, I mean, that, that's kind of why it came out the way that it is. But it's tough. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. All right. So, let's, uh, let's, let's put a cap on total. this here. So, yeah. So, totals. In descending order, the number one ranked subclass for us tonight was Path of the Zealot. The second was Path of the Beast. You're welcome. Path of the Totem Warrior was number three. I don't get it. And then number four, Path of Wild Magic. Number five, Ancestral Guardian. And then right after that was Path of the Storm Herald. And then I'm Berserker and Battle Rager were both kind of bottom of the pile. Uh, there were some some subtle variations. The only thing that, that saved the Battle Rager from being seventh on that list instead of eighth on that list was the fact that I really, really liked the flavor of the Battle Rager and both made you feel bad for not ranking it higher. So that's, you know. I don't know. Thoughts on that ranking? I feel like that ranking feels that ranking feels good to me overall about how it all shook out. What do you guys think? Definitely. I mean, I liked honestly and could play every single one of the of the subclasses. This is just us ranking them against each other and then talking about what we meh yeah. or straight up didn't like. But I didn't say it was crap once this yeah. time. No, exactly. Um, Everything was very middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only beef that I truly have with the subclasses of Barbarian is that they gave us Path of the Berserker because they didn't want to make Dwarven-only Battle Ragers. So then spinning out Battle Ragers afterwards, it really just, I don't know. Yep. That, that was kind of crap to me. Yep. That, that was crap. <laughs> that, that makes sense to me. Luanika, your thoughts? I, I think the way the rankings fell really meets out kind of our general process. I think the way in which we all approach the game as players, as storytellers, while we all have our own unique perspectives and specific likes that kind of outlie from the group in one way or another way, there's still this harmony that exists somewhere in the middle. And that thick band, to keep going back to that point that you spoke of, really speaks to that. There yeah. are a lot of things that were in the 20s here. You know, we yeah. had... Six one, of the eight were between three. 22 and 29. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that speaks to the fact that these are all decent subclasses. All of them are yep. playable that we can see. And all of them are ones that I can certainly see being useful from an NPC standpoint, at least to yep. take features and make take those features in and put that into a stat block or what have you, if not to have a character who represents yep. that particular subclass in a game yep. if you go to a specific area or deal with a specific yep. type of encounter. Uh, so I really like that. And I learned a yeah. lot. Like there's things that I didn't think I would particularly care for that I really, really after the deep dive like. Yeah. The Ancestral totally. Garden Guardian was a surprise. I heard some shade go that way. And when I read it, I'm like, but I want this. You know? Yeah. Um, no, it's it's good. Yeah. And I think that's that's key. That's key. Yep. I think that the other side to that coin is that while nothing in the pile was was awful, nothing really was exemplary either, right? And so like there were very very few scores overall in the 30s from any of us. I say I had two in the 30s. 
But Limonika, you had two in the 30s. Glenn, you had two in the 30s out of eight. So, you know, like that's that nothing was really awful, right? Like I'm going to give it the lowest possible score, right? But nothing was really like exemplary either. So yeah, uh, these scores and these rankings all, all make sense to me. The subclasses were very consistent in their inconsistency with the rest of Barbarian, right? Like Barbarians are going to be great for the first two tiers of your game. It's going to fall off in tier three. And then, and then you're going to be stuck with a choice in tier three about whether or not you you continue riding to get those those really powerful tier four abilities, or whether you ditch barbarian for something like fighter, ranger, rogue, something like that. Right? That's going to be the choice that you're going to face. I mean, you're going to face it in tier three after level ten. So, yeah, excellent. All right, gentlemen. Well, I think we have put a cap on the barbarian for this time. Uh, we've got some exciting things coming up for the rest of December here. Um, really looking forward to the collaborative world building episode. That'll be a lot of fun. And Strixhaven comes out in a couple of weeks. So that'll be uh, that'll be a good time too. So looking forward to that. Look and see what happens with, Strix- with Strixhaven because, uh, man, you know, there's a... Uh, I think there's some question marks around that book. And so we'll see. But anyway, all that to say... Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you had a fabulous Thanksgiving. Hope that you are striving towards a uh, fabulous holiday season here and a happy new year. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.